The first reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. And he gave to the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The word of the Lord. Let us stand for the reading of the gospel. The Lord be with you and with thy spirit. The Holy Gospel according to St. John in the 16th chapter beginning at the first verse. Glory be to thee, O Christ. Jesus said, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whenever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you so much for the gift of being able to gather together. We thank you that in our gathering, your spirit is here before us. And that your spirit has come to open our hearts and our minds that we might more clearly see you 
and that by your grace we might respond to you in your call on our lives. We pray your blessing in our time together in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. The real gift to be with you all this morning and continue a little bit on the series that uh, Tim has started on embodied worship and uh, struggle a little bit with what that means in particular today to look at that in the context of the person of Jesus Christ. But I want to begin with a story. When I was 15 years old, I bicycled through New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine, Nova Scotia, I think Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island, New Brunswick with a group of 20 other teenagers. And we, uh, as we biked along, we would be stopping in churches and we slept in church basements. And then on Sunday mornings, we would sing in the church, as it were, we were singing for our room and board. I still remember one of the songs that we sang. In fact, it's kind of strange. It's the only song out of all the songs that we sang that I actually remember. And it went like this. Have you seen Jesus, my Lord? He's here in plain view. Take a look. Open your eyes. He'll show it to you. I don't think our singing was particularly good. But we did sing with a lot of gusto. I grew up after that time, and like many of you, there's been many times when I've wondered about that song. Maybe you haven't wondered about the song, but about what it says. Is Jesus really here in plain view? What exactly might that mean or how are we to understand it? The song goes on and it speaks about Jesus being here in plain view in a sunset or in the waves on a beach. And as much as that idea that God is present in his creation and shows himself to us or we see the creative hand of God, as much as that might inspire us, it's not the same thing as seeing Jesus personally. And I don't think it's the same thing when we're struggling and when we need Jesus to actually be there to help us in the midst of what we face in life. Have you ever wondered with me, I've wondered this many times growing up, have you ever wondered what it would have been like to be one of Jesus' first followers? To have been there, present with him, face to face. To have perhaps been able to stop and to say, Hey Jesus, let's go get a beer. Let's go get a cup of coffee. Let's have some time together. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that make it easier to know Jesus? Jean-Paul Sartre, the existentialist philosopher, once offered an analogy to describe what it means to be present to another person. He spoke of sitting in a cafe, waiting for someone that you know to show up to have a coffee together. Since it was Sartre, it would be a Parisian cafe, so it would be probably very good coffee and excellent pastries, albeit expensive coffee. So you're there, you've got your latte, you've got your long espresso, you've got a croissant, you're really enjoying it as you're waiting for this person to show up. There's a buzz of conversation happening in the cafe, right? That's what cafes do. Well, what Sartre says is he says that the person you're waiting for 
is actually more present to you than anybody else in the cafe. And they're more present to you. Why? Because you have a relationship with them. Because you know them. So personal presence isn't just physical, is what he's saying. So does that help us understand John 16? I'm not entirely sure. But maybe it does. In John 16, and this is, if you remember, this is just before Jesus is about to die, about to be crucified. He says to his closest followers, who are actually, we're told they're, they're fearful, they're upset, they're, they're not certain what's going on. And he says to them, it's to your advantage that I'm going away. It's to your advantage that I'm going away. Because if I go, I'm going to send the helper to you. The spirit of truth will take what is mine and will declare it to you. So clearly John is saying that the, or Jesus is saying here, that the spirit is going to come to make Jesus present to you and to I. He's making him present to us. So the question though, and I hope you're asking this question, what does that actually mean? What does that look like? What should we expect in terms of being able to see and to know Jesus. I want to shift directions here. I'm going to come back to that, but I want to shift directions here for a minute. In order to say, over the past 100, 150 years, there's been two primary views or primary understandings of the way that we get to know Jesus. And these two different views of the way we get to know Jesus, they're not the only views, but they're two ways that I think would actually be fairly common in terms of the way that human beings have understood how we get to know Jesus. The first has been an emphasis upon the historical, physical person of Jesus of Nazareth. This emphasis on Jesus as a historical person goes back to the end of the 19th century, when scholars argued that the Jesus of faith had become so mythologized that there was little connection between the Jesus of faith and the historic person of Jesus. And so they argued, if you really want to know who Jesus was, we need to kind of clear away all that mythologizing and get down to the particular historic person of Jesus of Nazareth. That's how you know Jesus. Well, growing up, I love to hear the story that my father liked to tell about visiting one of his uncles, his uncle Edwin Baker. When he went to visit his uncle Eddie, as he was called, uncle Eddie would be at work in his basement shop, and my dad would walk down there in order to visit with uncle Eddie. But when he walked down there, it was somewhat frightening because the room was pitch black. You'd hear a table saw running, but you wouldn't see anything. You see, Uncle Eddie was completely blind. And yet there he was working in his woodworking shop. It's just an amazing story. I loved hearing that when I was a kid. See, Uncle Eddie had served in the Canadian forces in World War I. And very shortly after he was set, sent to the front, he was in um, Mount Kemmel in Belgium. He was shot by a sniper. And the shot went right across his eyes and blinded him in both eyes. He then obviously was, was, uh, he was out of the war. He went back home, and he gradually began to rebuild his life. 
But after he began to get his feet back under him, he became involved with several other people in starting the Canadian National Institute for the Blind, the CNIB, whose offices are just a little bit to the north of us. He became the managing director, so really one of the founding directors of the CNIB from 1920 until 1969. He gave his life for the CNIB, making the CNIB what it was. So Eddie's life is a wonderful example of someone who inspires us and impresses us by what he was able to accomplish and the difference he made in other people's lives. But I never knew Uncle Eddie personally. My dad did. I never knew Uncle Eddie personally. And I suspect actually most of you never knew Uncle Eddie personally either. He's an inspiring example, but you'd never claim to have a personal relationship with him. The quest for the historical Jesus has focused on getting to know the person of Jesus as a historical figure. Now, that might be a wonderful, inspiring model for us, and sometimes that's how people have understood Jesus. But you wouldn't ever imagine having a personal relationship with Jesus. That's the first way, and it's been very typical in certain circles to understand Jesus that way, to try to get back to the historic person. Now, there's another way, and it's really the opposite of the first, and that is to focus on knowing Jesus personally, spiritually having a spiritual relationship with Jesus. This approach, I think, has characterized much of the church in the 20th and 21st century. But I want to say, there's a problem. There's a problem. Before you say, well, actually, I like the spiritual way better than the the historic way, let me say there's a problem. In the early 2000s, the sociologist Christian Smith headed up a study of American teenagers, 15,000 American teenagers they studied. And what they were trying to do was to understand how teenagers understood faith and understood God. What they discovered in this survey is that teenagers pretty much thought of God as a life coach. As a life coach. They believed that a benevolent God existed who watches over us, albeit from a distance, and that this God wants us to be nice or good people, and that the central goal of life is that we should live a happy and satisfactory life. This God, according to the survey, doesn't actually need to be present to us, except at those times when we need God to be present. Now, what was particularly sobering about this study is that they found it didn't matter which religion these teenagers came from. Whether they were Muslim or Hindu or Christian, they all saw God as a life coach. They all believed that God was there when you need God to be there to help you make the most of your life. Now, of course, the teenagers that they did in the study, they're all millennials, right? So they're all in their 30s now. They're all adults. But what's more interesting, of course, is that Kendra Dean, another sociologist, did did a little review at the point of time when this book came out on the survey results. And Kendra pointed out something very interesting. She said, it's not that the teenagers 
had a different view of God than their parents. It's actually that they had exactly the same view of God as their parents. Whether they were parents or teenagers in the early 2000s, they thought of God as one who was there for us, who wants us to be nice people, but otherwise pretty much stays out of the way. So here's the challenge for us in this. When we locate God's presence primarily in a spiritual realm, it is inevitable that the God that we think about or that we worship becomes generic. Spiritual, but fuzzy and vague. Does that sound familiar? I think it should because I actually think that is the God that is widely worshipped in our community today, in our world today, for people who think about or believe that there is a God. Let's be honest about this too. This kind of generic concept of God is actually one that's a lot more attractive because that God doesn't put a whole lot of demands on us. When Jesus described the work of the Holy Spirit in John 16, he says this. I like the fact, Charlotte, that you slowed down when you read that part in the reading. He says, the Spirit is coming to prove the world wrong. Wrong about sin, wrong about righteousness, wrong about judgment, and certainly wrong about generic notions of God. The Spirit has come to convict. And it's not just convicting everybody else. The Spirit has come to convict you and I because this idea of a convenient God who looks after us is so very attractive. And so very natural for you and I to fall into in terms of worship. So let's talk for a minute about Zoom or online worship. Zoom has been so important these last couple years. I teach. I don't know how we would have had to shut down completely if we hadn't had Zoom. It's allowed us in church to meet online when worship in person just wasn't possible. And in fact... We have discovered that Zoom offers us ways of communicating that probably couldn't happen any other way. It's still a great way for people who are at a distance or people who for health reasons cannot gather to be able to actually worship together. But let's be clear, and here I suspect I'm speaking to people that are very much on the same page. Zoom or online worship is no replacement for being able to be present to one another for all kinds of reasons. But there is a danger. And the danger is that the convenience of Zoom worship will reinforce our natural tendency to spiritualize the Christian life. To see Jesus as something like a life coach who is out there to help you and I live a full and satisfying life. And there might be a great gift of grace in this. Because the fact of the matter is, is that seeing Jesus only in spiritual terms is not a product of COVID. It was actually happening for a long time before COVID. Because having a God who's conveniently there to look after us but doesn't put too much demands on us is actually attractive to us all. And so maybe, it just may be, that what we're forced to do because of COVID is reconsider 
how we've become comfortable with a convenient God. Sartre's cafe analogy suggests that personal knowing involves more than physical presence, but it is never less than physical presence. It involves more than physical presence, but it is never less than physical presence. In other words, it's never enough to have only online or a spiritual relationship with another person, even with a divine person. I don't know about you, but it's such a natural thing to think about our relationship with God as solely spiritual, as though it's online. For human beings, building a relationship with someone else demands physical presence. That's actually the way that God has designed us. Personal knowing demands time spent in the presence of another. In a sense, that's exactly what the cafe analogy suggests. That a friend who is not present at that moment is actually more present to us precisely because of the depth of relationship that we have developed with them over a long period of time. We come to know one another in the midst of good times and bad, in our joys, in our sorrows, in our struggles. Personal knowing grows and matures through experiencing life with one another. It's kind of like a tree, right? If you cut the tree off, you see all the growth rings. And if you look at the growth rings, you'll see that the years that the tree has lived through are represented by how different those growth rings are. In the same way in our relationships, there's this buildup over a long period of time, struggles, sorrows, joys, that actually make our relationships rich. But that's exactly because we're able to be present with one another, wholly present, and not just spiritually present. So that brings us back to the song about Jesus. Have you seen Jesus, my Lord? He's here in plain view. How is Jesus personally present this morning? Well, I think the one thing we have to say right away is Jesus is not here. At least not in the way that he one day will be. There will be a time when we can sit down face to face with Jesus. That's the promise at the center of the gospel. But in the meanwhile, we do have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit makes Jesus present to us personally. That is, I think, the absolutely crazy claim at the heart of the Christian gospel. That knowing, though, that personal knowing with Jesus is a two-way street. It requires us to do the hard work of investing in getting to know Jesus in the ways that Jesus gives himself to us to be known. Back to John 16. Jesus says, It's to your advantage that I go away. Because that means then that the Helper will come. And the Helper will guide you into all truth because he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. And then he goes on a little bit later and says, In a little while, you will no longer see me. But then you will see me. I don't think Jesus is speaking here just about the second coming. I think Jesus is speaking about the fact 
that because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, you and I are able to see Jesus. And to see Jesus in that sense means to know Jesus. So I want to suggest that there's two primary ways that the Holy Spirit makes Jesus present to us right now so that we can grow in relationship with him, grow in relationship to him together. And they are the Bible, and they are the gathered Christian community. The Bible and the gathered Christian community. Christians, since the very early days of the church, has spoken of the real presence of Christ. If you've grown up in a Catholic background, you're probably actually used to that term, because the real presence of Christ is referred to in the bread and the wine of communion. But if you go back and you read a lot of people in the history of the church, one of the things you'll recognize is that over and over again, people said, Jesus is really present, physically present to us, in the Bible, in the biblical text, and in the gathered community. That's how people spoke about the real presence of Jesus. So first, the Bible, from the beginning to the end. And I probably don't have to convince most of you about Jesus being present to us in the Bible. But from the beginning to the end, the Bible is about Jesus. If we focus on the historic person of Jesus, or we focus on the spiritual relationship with Jesus, in both cases, we're missing the other side of the puzzle. We have an incomplete picture. And that incomplete picture not only leads to a shallow relationship with God, but it also means that we're going to be disappointed. Because when push comes to shove, we're going to discover that this God that we're thinking about doesn't actually exist. The God who is present to us now through the Holy Spirit is the same Jesus of Nazareth who the Bible bears witness to. The biblical text makes Jesus present to us right now. So we can never simply read the Bible because we're looking for advice on how to live our lives. And we can never read the Bible because we hope to get to know the historic figure of Jesus. When we read the Bible, and particularly when we read it together in community, we're doing so to encounter Jesus. And we should come here on Sunday mornings, or we should come when we read the Bible, particularly when we read it together, expecting that God is going to encounter us in Jesus Christ, because that's exactly what John 16 is telling us is going to happen. As we learn to live into this biblical story, that's what we're doing gathered together, spending time with it, getting to know the contours and shapes of the story, it's in that journey that we come to know Jesus better. And the Spirit uses the Bible to do exactly that in our lives. The second and the complementary way that the Spirit makes Christ present to us is through the church. And Ephesians 4, that wonderful passage, makes this so clear. And it also makes it very clear why Zoom or online worship will never be enough. At least not if the church is to grow up into what it means to be the body of Christ. When Ephesians paints a picture of Christian maturity, it's not about mature individuals. Yes, it is that we need to grow up as mature individuals, but Ephesians is not painting a picture that we can all be kind of complete, mature individuals. That's a cultural picture of maturity, not a biblical picture of maturity. In Ephesians 4, maturity is the interwoven body growing up 
with Christ as its head, where every part functions in the way that God has designed the body to function. So in the context of Ephesians, to believe that we can be mature Christians on our own is, in fact, to miss the point altogether. In chapter 2, we didn't read chapter 2, but if we were to flip back and read chapter 2 of Ephesians, we'd read that since we have been reconciled in Christ, we must be reconciled with one another. In fact, you could almost say that's the theme song of Ephesians. That since we have been reconciled to God, that work's already done, now we need to learn to be reconciled with one another. Not because that should be a byproduct of that, but in fact because becoming reconciled to one another is how you and I actually begin to understand what it means to be reconciled to God. You can't have one without the other. That's why Ephesians 4 begins with these really practical words about you and I learning how to live together with other Christians. It says this, it begins, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then it's all about us and how we live together. It says this, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You don't get a much more direct challenge for us to actually learn how to live together as God's people than Ephesians 4, beginning of Ephesians 4. I think it seems a little strange now to us, it certainly does to me, that in the early days of the Internet, there was this utopian hope that the Internet was going to allow us to have real relationships, right? Do you remember that? It's going to kind of take away all the problems that we have with relating to people and make it possible for us to have really good and real relationships with one another. Of course, social media and all that happens on social media has disabused us of any promise that it was going to make relationships easier. In fact, social media, why is it that it doesn't work so often? And why is it that it's so corrosive to human flourishing? Because it's easy to treat someone who's not physically present as though they're not a real person. Physical presence is absolutely vital to human relationships. The church draws together a wide variety of people in one place. Physical gathering. People who would normally not get to know each other. People who would certainly not get along with each other. We're brought together by the Spirit. We don't get to choose Who's part of the Christian community? If we got to choose, our community would look a lot like us, and that would be not a good thing. We don't get to choose who's part of the Christian community. And the result is that at times, Christian community is really hard work. But learning how to live with and get along with one another is exactly what growing up in Christ is all about. We have been through an extraordinarily difficult time. All kinds of ways we have struggled, we have suffered, we've been frustrated. I don't know about you, but I lose track of what day of the week it is when I'm working at home on my Zoom on computer. It's time now to rebuild. It's time to rebuild the Christian community. 
to renew our sense of calling of who we are as the people of God. And here's the thing. It's time to go beyond where we were before COVID. To recognize that even the way we were before COVID, we weren't actually living into the promise that God has for us as his people. As we grow together in Jesus Christ, we will not only see Jesus more clearly, but because our lives with one another are more aligned with his, we will see Jesus more clearly. This is the witness of the church, that Jesus should be known in the life of the worshiping community. And not just for us, but for the world as well. That's the witness the church has for the world. That here's this disparate group of people who normally would never get along, who are actually learning to love, to cherish, and to value each other. Have you seen Jesus, my Lord? He's here in plain view. He's present to us in the text, and he's present to us in the worshiping community. As we grow up together in the church, reconciled to one another, we will see him more clearly. And so will others. That's the promise of the gospel. The church is like a little piece of clay, isn't it? Thrown on a potter's wheel. It's misshapen. It's muddy. At times it's not particularly pretty. But all the while, God is shaping something extraordinarily beautiful in our midst. Something that points towards and gives voice to the person of Jesus Christ that we might know him and that we might love him and that in knowing and loving him, you and I might be set free to be the people that God has called us to be. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.